What's up everybody, this is Grant, the cause artist. Not sure what to really say right now at the moment. I'm sure we're all going through sort of some similar emotions and different daily routines now in our, in our lives. And obviously just want to say, you know, stay healthy and stay safe and hope everybody's doing well. And uh, it's going to be difficult here for, for a while, I think. And uh, the best thing I think we can do is just try to get through it together and, and try to motivate each other and help each other out when we can. Um, so I'm going to try to do as many of these as I can in, in the coming weeks just to, to sort of give a pulse to the world and, and just talk to people and see how they're feeling, what they're doing. I'll try to keep the episodes as normal as possible. It might be a little difficult to do that. I'm not in my normal areas. My microphone setup is not as good, but I'm going to do what I can um, to kind of just uh, keep episodes coming and, and have them more frequently and, and just chat with, with more and more people. So, you know, if, if you have something on your mind, you wanted to chat and just talk about your business, your organization, um, if you're a journalist, if you're a scientist, if you're a professor, I think education is what we need the most right now. And, and for us layman's to really understand what's going on and I think what is going to happen and what actually can happen in the coming months and even year. Um, so yeah, so I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, It's been a crazy, crazy week and uh, thoughts and prayers are with people of Italy and, and France and uh, China as, as the world sort of wakes up to this in a broader sense um and, and deals with it in our own way and it seems like we're we're all going through it together which is can be a positive thing there is a silver lining i don't know it usually when we all go through something together we are bonded and we feel like we can attack this thing globally and i i think that there are some immensely immensely smart people in the world that will hopefully figure this out and uh we can get through this but in in this episode i, I talked to to my friend Martin Johnson, who's the uh, co-founder and uh, CEO of Crafted Society. And, you know, ironically, they make all their product in Italy. Um, so it's it's a really sort of tough time uh, for, for their workers and their colleagues and things like that. He's located in Amsterdam. The company is located in Amsterdam. And they are also dealing with some some issues as well as, as they go on a, a semi-lockdown and quarantine, uh, so to speak. But we go through his journey on started in company and his time at Tom Shoes and what he learned there to bring to uh, his own company and what it's like for for life in Italy right now for some of his uh, his craftsmen and his artisans and his colleagues and um, we talk about him you know raising a million dollars you know how hard was that how difficult was that what the next uh, chapter of of crafted society will be. And it's a, it's a little choppy. I apologize again. I think we're all kind of dealing with maybe some, some phone issues, some bandwidth issues, and all these different things. So it does get a little choppy here and there. But uh, please get through it because it's some really, really amazing stuff that, that Martin has to speak about. Um, so I, I do apologize for that. I, I tried to edit it up to make it. Uh, so I think it, I think it did a pretty good job. Uh, I mean, I, I definitely uh, cleaned it up. So we, I think it's, it's pretty good. Um, so I got through it a couple times after listening to it. So um, I think we'll be fine there. But I, I appreciate all the thoughts that you're sending out in the world. And, and please continue to do so. Please try to support your local nonprofits in any way you can. 
local businesses and restaurants. If you can, if you can't leave your home, you buy gift gift cards from their website or call and do gift cards that way. If they don't offer them online, but there's going to be some real struggle. There's going to be um, businesses that that go bankrupt, and there's going to be people in our community that lose their businesses, and um, it's going to be a really really difficult thing. So anything we can do to combat that and keep it at a very very low minimum, obviously it's going it's going to be it's going to be the best thing. Thoughts and prayers are with everybody. Please reach out if you want grant at causeartist.com. Um, I'll be around and uh, best of luck to everybody and stay healthy. Thanks. Bye. So so how I usually like to, to start these episodes, I'll, I'll try to keep it as normal as possible, even though we're not sort of living very normal right now. It's sort of your journey in, in starting Crafted Society and sort of your journey through your career and maybe what you saw throughout your career that, that made you think this would be possible and, and and thought you could even even do it right it's, it's very difficult to sure. to think about starting a company right and then it's another thing to actually do it right and kind of be around for Correct. several years now and raise money and do all these things that you know social impact brands have had a difficult time doing um a little bit so just talk about the journey man and, and how it's been so far sure um well in 2015 uh the company i was working for at the time was sold to a private equity firm that was Tom Shoes. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that inspired me a lot as my last real career corporate world job because I was right. able to basically bring my 20 plus years of experience and package it together in a, in a new social impact driven format, which was completely new to me and new to a lot of people here in Europe as well. So when I was the former uh, managing director of uh, the European, Middle Eastern and African region. And that mm-hmm. was sold. It kind of gave me an opportunity just to take a, a little bit of a, a step back and think about everything I'd achieved and what I'd done and the experience right. I'd been able to gather in those, in those years and also look at, you know, kind of on a, on a slightly deeper level, some of the issues in the industry at large, the experiences, both good and bad, that I'd had working with some of the world's most recognizable brands um, and figure out whether, you know, that was something I wanted to basically change hat for and continue or whether that was the right moment for everything to come together and, and see if we could maybe, you know, start something for for ourselves. And, um, you know, having, having kind of started my career at Adidas and wanted to work my way up there, uh, after a few years, I moved uh, from sports marketing into product development and working for Tommy Hilfiger here in Amsterdam. It's uh, also where I met my wife, Lise, and then just kind of continued on that path, right? And like every three or four years, I'd end up moving on to the next thing. Um, so, I, so during my period of having resigned from my role at Tom's, I started to really think about, you know, why that was. Why, why was I only ever let's say, in love for a period of three or four years at a time from a, from a career perspective. <laughs> and I kind of, um, you know, came to the conclusion, a lot of soul searching also with my wife, that, you know, the reality is is that in, if you don't go out there and build your own dream, someone else is going to hire you to help build theirs. And I think that mm-hmm. was probably always in me that I wanted to go and do something for myself, but nothing had come to mind. You know, there was no... 
there was no greater purpose. And I think that's the one of the things that I sometimes missed in those corporate jobs that I had was a, a greater purpose outside of profit. And I think, um, you know, the beauty of what what my role encompassed at Tom's was that I really started to appreciate that companies can have a greater purpose and it can still be good for doing business. So during the period of reflection, you know, we'd always said that if we wanted to start something, we probably want it to be more in the in the handmade, in the artisanal area. And for us, we've been in love as a couple, as individuals with Italy for, you know, as long as we can remember. So that was quite a, an easy decision at a kitchen table to make. Yeah, we're going to start our own thing. We're going to make things that we like ourselves, sneakers and bags and beautiful things. And we're going to go and produce them all uh, with these amazing artisans that all these big brands always talk about. We're going to go and produce them in Italy. So we thought, yeah, within like maybe three or four months, we'd be up and running. <laughs> well, that was kind of a <laughs> major, major roadblock because, you know, here and I can testify to that. They do exist. And we are working with some of the best in the business. The problem is that they've got this blanket of secrecy uh, that they unfortunately for decades have been hiding under because, you know, the brands that they work with, they all get them to sign confidentiality agreements. Interesting. So that took us about a year of going back and forward to Italy. And, you know, we didn't have a brand name at the time. And we were just like, wow, this is, this is incredible. So this roadblock of secrecy kind of started to inspire us to put a kind of a hypothesis, which is, well, if, if we could do maybe everything completely opposite to what a traditional luxury brand does, maybe we can see if you know we can survive and we can actually create and come to market and see if this thing has got legs on it so as we were going through italy and we were interviewing multiple different business owners and artisans and people who've had this you know the craft in their hands for generations and generations we never sat down with them and asked them how much they could produce for us what their minimum order quantity all all of the traditional business talk just like tell us right. your story right how how long has how long has this knowledge and skill been in your family how many generations what are your biggest challenges and you know we kind of got to this point after about eight or nine months where all of these people that didn't know each other they all were kind of saying the same thing and that was that they were struggling to identify the next generation to come in and take over their knowledge and uh, it you know that kind of made a lot of sense when you're coming out of the industry and you know that if you're producing as a brand with a supplier, generally you're going to ask them to sign a confidentiality agreement because that's just how the industry was, right? It was very secretive and they want that knowledge internally instead of sharing it. And that's when the whole notion of let's go down this completely transparent road came to us. And, you know, it's, it's at that moment when we were driving between the east side of Italy to the west between visits to artisans that were, were just kind of talking and we're getting more excited and passionate about how can we help these people mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I turned around to Lisa and said, uh, you know, we've got to do everything we can to preserve a crafted society. She was mm-hmm. like, well, what, 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 what do you mean? And I was like, we need to, we need to educate the consumers today on the appreciation of things made by the hand and made by experts and made yeah. in 
time-driven traditions, etc. And she was like, no, the bit before that, say that again. I said, we need to preserve a crafted society. She's like, oh, call it. And that's it was it. almost, that's, <laughs> that's how we had arrived at our purpose, if you like, and our, our name and our name says what we're trying to, trying to set out to do. And at the same time, you know, this, this notion of this 20 years of industry experience starts in the brain and you're like, okay, well, it's not just enough today to be sustainable because consumers of tomorrow, they expect businesses and brands to be sustainable. Um, it's not, it's not anymore the exception, right? So right. you've got to do that. So we've got to check that box is highly important to us so and i think also today if you are a modern brand being set up for a modern socially conscious and consumer you've also got to put social responsibility into the mix of what you're doing and that's kind of where we decided okay we're going to we're at all of those elements but the one thing that is going to set us aside or set us apart <laughs> in the process is we're going to a fully transparent operation within an industry and within a part of the industry, which is the most aspirational, which has traditionally been locked off. Right. And that's kind of how, uh, let's say, the, 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 the beginning of it all came um, together. So you mentioned, obviously, working at Tom's and, and I'm sure you got to learn a, a ton of stuff. Can you maybe go into a little bit about maybe what you took from you know, not only Tom's, but like the rest of your career and then moving to Tom's and then you know, starting your own thing. What were some of the things that you learned along the way that you wanted to instill in, into crafted society, um, both from just, you know, from a from a transparency standpoint yeah. and, and sort of a, some traditional things in, in the industry, but then also the social impact model. What were some of the things that you learned and, and wanted to implement? Um, I think, you know, ultimately, I've, I've been very blessed to have had a, a career as long as working for the Adidases, or as you call it, the Adidases, uh -huh. the Tommy, the Crocs, Nautica, etc. And all of these brands, they all have community, right? So they're, they're about building community. Um, yet at the same time, I think, especially with where, the way the world is going, and I, I kind of saw that, especially Tom's just about building community to satisfy share requirements, building a community so that you could actually engage with them and, and, and listen twice as much. Today, it's very much more about being in a dialogue with your, your community and your fans, your ambassadors, however you call them. Um, as it, in the old days, it was more, more driven. And I think, you know, the beauty of kind of having a, a, an old or many years ago and probably several kilos ago in, in soccer was that I really enjoyed being part of the team. My first job was at Adidas and back then uh, in the 90s was, you know, redefining itself. They were starting to win in and building a, a winning mentality was something that was top of mind. And I think if I fast forwarded then to, you know, my last role at Tom, it was winning, but for let's say the end goal was to win, but it wasn't necessarily in the way that a lot of people would have thought it was. So the, you know, the, the mission was really, we're going to win by the more shoes we can donate. It was never about, you know, necessarily how many shoes are we, it was how many people are we going to impact through that one-for-one -one model. When I sat back and started to kind of look at 
all of these these learnings that I'd had, perseverance, uh, you know, I've, I've worked for privately run companies, publicly traded companies, uh, private equity owned companies. So I've, I've kind of seen almost everything that there is to see. But I think the one thing that ultimately left me a little bit soul searching was that profit was always put over purpose. And, you know, I, I arrived at the kind of the life working with, uh, with Tom's and I, it opened my eyes. I saw this beautiful new opportunity to do business as a force for good. And I think, you know, ultimately when the company was sold and the internal direction chipped with my own personal career goals, I think that was a great opportunity for me to sit back and have a, a reflective moment of, okay, I've seen, I've, I've, I've learned from some of the best I've been educated in all of these businesses. I've traveled the world. Um, I've been able to take and see all the good, but also experience firsthand a lot of the not so good. So during that reflective moment, we, thought, we put all of this into play, which ultimately shows through, it comes through in our own value set and do something that maybe no one else has thought of or has necessarily been crazy enough to try, right? Which is to the luxury part of fashion, which has basically been non-touched for decades. And by doing and operating through a human value approach and by literally the opposite of how all of these traditional brands have built a brand. Is that even possible for us to succeed and to, you know, to gain the support of one artisan potentially to more? And you know, we we've never, and I specifically, shied away from a challenge. And, and to be honest with you as well, like you know, when we first started forming this, you know, I reached out to friends and, and old colleagues or people I've known in the industry, and they're like, you what? You're going to go and produce stuff in Italy. You're going to sell it for like a third of the regular price. You're not going to have any retailers. I mean, you're you're just going completely against the grain, Mark. You know, I'm sure you thought this through. Um, (laughs) And I was like, I think probably like 60% of it's for. (laughs) That's a good start. That's a good start. Yeah. We'll we'll see, right? So. You you mentioned before about the transparency part and sort of the, the luxury good world where these crafts craftsmen or craftswomen had to sign, you know, NDAs or confidentially confidential agreements. How did, then how did you go about actually finding them? Was that a difficult process to actually find the people you wanted to, to get to, to actually, cause I mean, obviously you needed them it, to even start the company. Correct. Correct. Um, it was, it, it, I mean, I look back on it now, was difficult because we went and visited multiple different producers, you know, ones that we were calling old friends. Um, so we visited factories. We're not naming them, but we visited in there, who they were producing for. And we would go into these factories and no one's making anything. Basically, you know, putting the finishing touches to a product so that that product can have the made in Italy stamp. So, and we saw, we saw a lot of, um, which is now fortunately starting to be documented through investigative journalism and leading um, more prominent and widely respected media who are who are starting to unearth the other side of the story. So, you know, for as many factories as we visited and owners that we spoke to, 
you know, we we never really got a sense of community from a lot of them. Um, and I think it was like, you know, there's an old saying that you've got to, we couldn't really necessarily see the wood for the trees, if you know what I mean. Um, so the journey probably took a lot longer because we had to go and meet with multiple, multiple factories and hear the story. And then sometimes they also didn't want to tell us the story of, you know, where the people came from, where did the skill come from? And I think you were able to really open that jar and identify the Marcuccinis, the Alex Pelletrias and the Eduardos and the Sauros and the Marios and the Danilos and Mateos and Brunas and Robertas. When we to the people who all had a story to share, I think all we've done is taken all of their years of passion the bottler in our own crafted society jar, if you like. And I think that's ultimately now is why people are starting to really fall in love because it's not a fabricated story. It's, it's a real story that was based on human values. When, when you talked about Pete going to some of the factories and people, people weren't sort of working, they were just stamping the labels on there. What would you mean by that? You mean that, they sent the finished product to Italy factory and then they just put <laughs> stickers on there Correct. said made in Italy or, yeah. or and, and yeah. that was, wow. Yeah. No, okay. maybe, maybe not so much stickers, but you know, the only 10% of the product would finish. Gotcha. And, they finished you know, some the, sewing or was, something like that. Yeah. Whatever it may be. And I think, you know, this is where the end consumer has been misled because they believe they trust a brand. And when that brand says on their product that it's been made in Italy, expect all of it to be produced there, right? Gotcha. Not, mm-hmm. not, not just simply finished. I think, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these brands that are set by profit over purpose, they're looking to cut corners. And when they're cutting corners in their product cost, they're having products built, sourced, in cheaper labor-driven markets and they're going to Italy for the last part so that they can still retail it with the made in Italy. And we thought that was wrong, completely wrong. Right. Which is why when we said, okay, we're not just going to honor made in Italy, just who the artisans are and give you their phone numbers, email addresses, and if you're down there, pin and to them, we're also going to tell you where the components on the packaging, the buttons, the zippers, outsoles, you name it, right? And we're also going to tell you where the raw materials come from. 100% made in Italy, then everything in our complete value chain has got to originate from Italy. And that's the way that I think true luxury and, and new luxury in the future is heading, that if a consumer is going to buy a brand's word that they are making something in the United States or in the UK or Italy or France. And they then they have an expectation, and that expectation is that all of it's done there, not just the brand right. that it's done there, right? Yeah, I just wanted to, to touch base. I, I remember when I originally uh, discovered you guys, I was obviously blown away by, by sort of the – the products, right? I think that's the first thing that I gravitated toward too. But then originally it was 
you were also doing some work in education and, and sort of India. And yeah, I wanted to know it. How did that come about? Is that still happening? What's I know we've talked a few times about sort of things that are going to start to escalate in different ways and impact. So do you want to start Correct. maybe just chatting about the original sort of social impact side of, of giving back of the company and then maybe what it's going to be like in the, in the next few years? So I think this is where maybe some of the learnings from Tom's came in as well. Um, so when we, when we started, we definitely wanted to have impact and we wanted to contribute to society in a, in a, in a positive way. Um, so like, okay, let's donate, not from profit, because profit can be murky, let's say, with a lot of companies. So let's donate from revenue. So started to think about, okay, well, you know, education is one thing people to be educated on on who they are, right? And that's that's the way that their own craft is going to uh, survive long-term. So we're like, okay, well, we're going to donate from revenue and we're going to give back organizations which are focused on educating the next generation. So that kind of started to really fit within our, our, our model. But the more we got into it, the more we realized that we also need to be more primary and, and circular in our approach. So the the problem in our industry, and in the early days, we would donate into various different charities around the globe that were focused on educating the next generation, but not necessarily educating the next generation of artisans. And I think that's what's been driving both Lisa and I on over the last three years. How can we almost go full circle and through our own impact, create solutions for the problem which we first identified when we first artisan four years ago. So I think, you know, when by having baked into the recipe from day one, it's actually helped us now evolve to the point, you know, we're working on actually launching our own foundation ourselves, which will be totally focused on identifying the next generation of artisans so we can you know create a solution and keep alive and hopefully preserve it for future generations yeah it's a beautiful thing i remember when we we were talking a few weeks ago and you had sort of brought that up i was super fascinated about the idea of i guess you had mentioned that italy sort of has a, a refugee sort of population um yep that's sort of coming into the country and, and, you know, there's a lot that goes into to that transition for a person and the idea of having your current sort of artisans, you know, transfer that skill to people looking, earning, right. Like wanting to learn a skill, right. And, and maybe that's a way where you can create jobs for people who need them and also improve the stability and sustainability of, these, these, this craftsmanship and, and sort of the lessons learned and, and having these products be passed down um, so it doesn't get lost in history. Um, and I just thought it was a great, it was a great idea and it was a great model. So I'm, I'm hoping that comes to fruition <laughs> eventually. It will, it will. I mean, that is, that is now kind of baked in our brand DNA and our, um, our brand strategy for the next however long. So, you know, we're working towards it and, I mean, at the same time, I think any business today that has got 
either social impact baked into its core values or you know they they value it as important they're doing something to be a better member of society i think all of it is connected by community right and the italians that we work with and italians in general are you know one of the biggest communities on the planet so i think it makes a lot of sense for us that as we move forward and we move from supporting organizations ngos that are not necessarily connected for history i still think the sense of being able to help at you know times of crisis and that's exactly what we're going through at this moment in time that you know our, our bigger is to be able to create a solution towards the knowledge uh, sharing of the skill set we're going down that road and we're putting plans in place to ensure that we set up our own foundation which will provide scholarship programs where we pair potentially people in need directly with the artisans you know we are living in this uh covid-19 crisis presently i think yeah. you know our sense of community is also has also got to continually be stretched towards doing a bit more as well and if everyone just did a little bit more more resources and more help so you know the fact that all of our products are produced in italy it's the single largest affected country outside of china it makes you know it, it hits home even closer for us than maybe for produce things in other countries around the world have you spoken to any of your your artisans or workers in italy what's sort of their what's, what's sort of their life like right day. now honestly i mean i speak to them almost daily mm-hmm. um you know i think when i picked off two weeks ago in italy we specifically us if they're in in the netherlands you know it, it was all it was a bit weird because we're hearing from the team they can still go to work, but it's on complete lockdown. Um, they're not allowed to go anywhere without permission. And we're sitting in Holland two weeks ago going, wow, that's that's mental, that's weird. And I'm sitting Peter, and we're in exactly the same position, although the government of the Netherlands have not yet basically put people on house arrest unless they have to go to work. So, you know, that's how fluid the situation is. But, you know, I think our, all of our team members over in Italy, they're continuing to work. Um, we do extend delays. Um, we decided already two weeks or three weeks ago that we were going to orders in because without orders, they can't survive. So we're doing our little piece to ensure that there's some some work for our, our, our factories and our, our colleagues over but you know we're in the business of making finished goods we're not selling components and we're our products will only get finished as and when all of our artisans receive every single component or raw material that goes into that finished good so think at the moment we we are going to experience the the big unknown is when when can we actually start to actually push the front end of the business again so it's it's a, it's a very awesome um, it's a, you know I can understand why there's a lot of panic out there um, smallness as well and you know there's there's a lot of livelihoods at stake um, but right now I think maybe the same uh, with many people Grant is that you've got to stay positive and you've got to stay optimistic that at one point this thing will blow over it will be business back to normal um, 
And I think more, more so than ever, consumers are going to have a reset of their value system and they're going to mm-hmm. really put value-driven businesses foremost because, you know, there's, there's too much of everything. There's, there's too much excess going on in the world. And I think, you know, unfortunately, in times like this, it is a time where people want to reset. And I think when you're putting your family first, and for us, that extends to our greater family and all in in Italy and around. Then I think also from a consumption, people start to think differently, and they're going to want to support those that have got much a human value focus uh, set that's attached to them. When you talk, when you talk to your colleagues in Italy, are, are they are, do they seem to be optimistic or is it just a very difficult time for them where they're dealing with so much right now? They <laughs> they can't even be optimistic at this point yet. I would say they remain optimistic. Uh, okay. The beauty of Italy is that, you know, they're fighters and they have this thing called a good life. You know, they know what the good life is. Um, and this is a time when the only thing that I think they have to, to cling on to is the optimism that things will get, you know, and, and for us, that, that kind of comes through in our communications with them. They are very optimistic when we talk to them. They may be a little bit more realistic <laughs> than, <laughs> yeah. than usual in terms of, you know, we might not be able to deliver next month. It might be the month after, but um, I think they're very resilient as well. And, you know, how, how bad the situation is from distance in Italy I think the people there are doing a fantastic job to keep some level of normality to a, to a daily life. Mm-hmm. You know, what's a, I know when we, we first kind of talked and thought about doing the podcast, we, we, it was really coming off the heels of, of raising, you know, a good round of money to really expand the vision and, and the mission. And that's sort of been yeah. obviously derailed in, in a little, in, in a way, but I, I wanted to touch on it a little bit because I think it's important to talk about for sort of social impact brands and the future is is what it's like to sort of pitch investors right on on sort of a non traditional business model right where you're sure. sort of you sort of <laughs> not not giving away some of the revenue right but but basically investing the revenue in in different ways and what was that process like I mean it's it's no secret we we could say it here we covered it but you guys raise a, a million dollars to sort of look at the, the, the global sort of luxury industry and say, hey, we could do a better job than this, right? We could be more transparent. We could be more yeah. impactful. Our designs are top-notch. It, can de- it could go up on the shelf with any other luxury designer and, and, and look the same, if not better, right, in, in a lot of elements. Yeah, so what, what was it like going down that road, right? That's, a, that's another difficult road to, to it hoe. It was bro. <laughs> <laughs> the majority of the time, it was extremely discouraging because you know and I've so from day one when we kind of realized that we needed to go out and we just needed more power more backing behind us right so we're like we need to now take this to, to the next level okay let's pitch investors went into our network started talking to serial investors bigger firms um having multiple conversations you know, people thinking we were meant crazy, valuations too high, etc. And after about six months of just kind of battered and bruised from all of these meetings, in between trying to run your business on a daily basis, 
oh, I was like, it just kind of hit me that we needed to look at this differently. Same way that we're looking at the industry, the same way we're looking at retail, the same way we need to ourselves towards finding the right partners, investment partners, instead of wasting time on speaking to people that had made money in a traditional way in the same industry who are going to expect you to do all the same things they did when they made their money. Our approach has always been different. Our approach has always been fresh. And mm-hmm. the thing that kind of to the success in the end, which is what it is, because it's not easy to raise money today with what's happening today, it's going to become even more difficult. But we do to go back to where should we, where we, where would be the greatest opportunity for us to find people that really wanted to join us, but also get our industry. And that was our fans. The right. people that have actually walked into our fitting room or they found us online, they love the customer service, they love the story, they love what we're trying to do. It's like, well, these, these people already love us, you know, and they're, they're coming back and, they're, you know, buying multiple things. Let's go and see if we could pitch maybe some of them. And I think that's in the end what led to us because we've got, we've got some seriously loyal customers out there. Um, who all, who all, you know, didn't need an introduction to the brand. <laughs> what, what was the, what was the balance? Like when you, when you were speaking with potential investors, what were the balance of the approach of, we have a, a tremendous product that, that can make money, but we also have a, you know, an impact model that we want to pursue. Was the bat? it, was there, was there anything that resonated with investors more than you thought it would, or, or maybe there was an element that that you thought would hit investors really good and it didn't go over so well. What, what, what was sort of the balance between like traditional pitching a business model, right? And then also pitching like the impact behind it as well. I think, and this will go back to my previous last phase. You can have the best social impact goals. You can have sincere um, wish to create environmental or societal change. But if it's a, so business model and your business part doesn't stack up, product centric, if your product is not on a par, if not better right, than everyone right. else, if from a consumer standpoint, your product is on par from design quality, but is completely out of point, right? So we've got a lot of things going for us, you know, we're produce, we've got great design and we've got the best of the best we're making our products in Italy. We use the highest quality raw materials, which were completely transparent. And we sell it for a third of the price because we sell it direct to consumer. So mm-hmm. ultimately now, what we've done is we've created a beautiful product, which is making our fans super happy and our customers super happy and super loyal. But now we start to see that the values of what, what we set out to do are also resonating. You know, if you are going to buy, then buy quality. Buy less, but buy buy quality, you know. Um, Cutting out the middleman, the whole direct-to-consumer is is starting to to grow rapidly over Europe. Uh, There's kind of a a few different elements, but ultimately we're still in the business of selling a highly aspirational. So for us, I think the the thing that we were surprised about is that when we were picking the investors, 
we were more pitching them on how what our goals were to ultimately disrupt traditional luxury. <clears throat> and I think where our mm-hmm. success came with the investors we were able to bring on board is that you guys have got an amazing product. We just got to like reach more people, <laughs> and then scoring. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, none of it's fabricated, and that's the beauty as well. Is that if you've got nothing to, if you've got nothing to hide, you can remember. <laughs> it's everything. easier to tell a story. <laughs> it's easier to tell a story. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I mean, I think at the end, um, that was probably the one of the, if not the biggest learning that whole investment round is that. You know, you, you're onto a really good thing here. Let's just, you know, tell this story to more, bring the brand to more corners of the world, and the story will follow. Yeah, yeah. No, it's amazing. I think the the last thing we can we can sort of touch on and maybe maybe end on this is I think there's a lot a lot of individuals out there that I mean I'm sort of inspired by by what you've done right and what you accomplished so far, and I think that um, there's others out there that that sort of want to take a similar path, right? than you than you did and, and sort of you know be three years sort of bootstrap like really build a brand it, it's so important right and, and basically dedicating your three years of your life to it building it up to where you can go out and actually have a story have a business model that you can pitch um you know to investors and successfully raise money and now you know really 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 put a lot of your ideas to work and start to scale Correct. a little bit more I guess what are some what are some tips or advice you would give people who are maybe you know had a company for a year have a couple for a couple of years three years and really want to take that next step? What are some advice you, you would give them that that you learn from your own experience? First of all, never give up because you're going to have more bad days than good days, especially when you're starting. More people will say no. It's, it's just the nature of the beast. But if your your sole purpose is pure that will help you get up in the morning, right? It will, that will drive the passion in you. Purpose is nothing without passion, but you can't have passion without purpose. Recognize the fact that going to be difficult roads ahead, um, but as long as you truly believe in you're continually asking and listening and gaining feedback and asking other people's opinions. What do you think? Could we do it better? I'm not saying that you need to run your business by democratic vote but always be open to what other people's input is and you know i'm saying that as some 20 20 plus years experience in this industry you know i'm continually open to what are we doing how can we learn what a new what a new thing what do the older people think what do the younger people think uh which technology should we be looking at i mean you unless you're not continually learning you cannot continually develop. So as as much as you can say, do this, do that, whatever, I think it's the basics, Grant, that continue to you know, help people who have not maybe been able to get to that next point of where they're seeking to get to, but having perseverance and determination and being positive and being convinced additional worth to this world are big fundamentals, right? When are those dark days? That's what's going to help, and it's yeah. going to, you know, set you aside from everyone else. And I mean, look, I'm not here uh, as a testament to Lisa and Martin. I'm here as a testament to Matteo, Vincenzo, Bruno, Roberta, uh, Mario, Marco. You know, I, right. I'm here right. representing <laughs> all of these voices of people 
can now have a have a platform and before that they never had a platform you know and my goal is that i'll be here in another three years from now i have another thousand of all these people that were platforming helping for people out in the states or anywhere in the world to find an appropriate to produce for them and to ultimately how the bigger goal and our bigger purpose will will materialize wow man we're really well said i mean it's it's super inspiring and i think it's amazing knowledge that that you possess and i think that the key word the key takeaway there is just always keep learning no matter if you have 20 30 40 years experience the world's always changing business is always changing technology is rapidly changing if you're not always learning it's going to be very difficult to succeed so i i I appreciate you taking the time. I know we're sort of in a very strange world right now. And, you know, obviously, please, please stay safe and, and obviously keep your family safe and hope everybody in the Netherlands and Amsterdam are sort of taking the correct precautions and hopefully listening to, you know, what the, what the World Health Organization is saying and what other organizations are saying. And, and obviously prayers to, to the people in Italy. And I know you're sort of talking to them you know, every day. So obviously pass, pass along the message from us in the U.S. that, you know, we're thinking about them, we're praying for them. And, and we really, we really just want to see this sort of end and, and we can get back to sort of building, you know, a better world and, and hopefully avoid something like this ever happening again. So again, I, I really appreciate the time. And I, I know you're sort of busy and trying to figure out life right now. So <laughs> uh, I really appreciate it, my man. Thank you. Cheers, Grant. All the best, bud.